Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, ladies. Surprise. It's me again. Thank you. Good morning. Well, ladies, I did not intend to be here this morning. Janet did intend to be here. It was not the plan for me to uh, be here this week, but yesterday at my house, about 3.30, it was like a three-ring circus. I mean, I had my mom visiting, and then my granddaughter woke up from her nap, and then my son called, oh, forgot, then my husband called to say he was at urgent care. Um, he's fine. I'll tell you, his foot had been hurting for a couple of weeks, but he was going hunting today, <laughs> so it suddenly became urgent to get it fixed. Um, but all that was going on, and my cell phone began ringing, and I saw that it was Tracy Kennedy, and I knew with all that was happening, I went, that can only mean one thing, <laughs> and I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, that's what it meant, but uh, here I am, and uh, you know, I was singing in the car on the way here, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So here I am. Before we get started, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this time that we can come together and pour over your word together. We lift up Janet especially to you um, and pray that uh, you will heal her, that she will have a very mild case of COVID, and that she will be back with us as soon as possible. And now, Lord, we give this time to you. I ask you especially, Lord, speak through me today um, and give all of us the words that you would have us to learn from James. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I am going to, I always have this podium up here for uh, it's like my security blanket. You know, Janet's up always without a net, but I always have this net up here. And today I may actually use it because uh, these, this is Janet's PowerPoint. So each page might be like, oh, what do we have here? Like this one. She had something to say about this. A busy week, Tuesday, midterm elections. And she says, now what? So I don't know what she was going to say. So here's what I'm going to say. Um, whether you're red, blue, purple, whatever, God is still on his throne. And, uh, and he will be. And we are still his people. So um, just a challenge that I'm um, issuing to myself as much as you all um, comes from the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 2. I urge you then, first of all, that all requests, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And just in case you need a reminder, 
Nero was the emperor and Paul was in Rome when he wrote this. And so it is just a reminder to me that I don't pray near enough for everyone who has been placed in our government, in our authority over us. So that's what I have to say. And as Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so we will move to the book of James. Um, Janet writes the theme, how do we live according to God's high and holy word. James wrote to the Jewish Christians who had been scattered after the stoning of Stephen. Acts 1.8 was fulfilled by Acts 8.1. So I went and looked that up um, so we could have a little refresher here. Acts 8.1, after Jesus had been crucified and he rose from the dead, you'll recall that he spent 40 days on the earth with his disciples, communing with them, eating with them, and they begged him to stay. And he said, I must go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And so in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power. And my memory serves me correctly. It's in Greek dunamis power, which is dynamite power. You will receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this, then Acts 8.1, uh, you know, Pentecost came. That was at 50 days after Passover. And you remember the Holy Spirit came upon the believers there. Um, and that was Acts chapter 7. I mean, Acts, well, it's in Acts. You can look it up. Um, in Acts 8.1... Uh, Stephen had just been stoned to death after his eloquent history of the Hebrew people addressed to the Sanhedrin that he concluded with these words, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts, was there ever a prophet you did not persecute? And now you have murdered the righteous one. And that's when they stoned Stephen. Acts 8.1 says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so remember, we talked about with Micah that God has plans that the enemy doesn't understand, but God accomplished his purpose by spreading the gospel through this persecution. So, oh, I have more. Um, Oh, the book of James was almost not included in the New Testament canon. And a few reasons for that. Um, It was argued it was not written by an apostle. It was addressed only to the Jewish Christians. And most importantly, uh, there was a lot of discussion that it seemed to contradict Paul's theology that we are saved by faith alone. But we know as we study James, it's an outward expression of your faith or your deeds. So it wasn't until um, the 4th century A.D. that James began to be regularly included uh, in the sacred writings. Um, And uh, a last point for us to ponder on this slide, does our witness 
reflect what we know about our faith? No. Or what we are convinced is the truth of our faith? So with that, the introduction to James. Uh, Janet tells us James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he calls himself a servant. Doulos, bond servant. He chose to serve God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He used the whole uh, title, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he put him on equal footing with God in his introduction. Um, I'm going to read to you uh, last week, as things happen for a reason, apparently, um, the leader that was supposed to lead leaders meeting um, could not lead and no one else was available to step up and lead. And so I said, oh, well, I'll do it. And so thank you, dear Lord, that I did because I had a little bit of advanced prep on this. And so I wanted to share with you what I shared with the leaders. Um, James, the author, does not specifically identify himself as the half-brother of Jesus. There are four James in the New Testament, and by process of elimination, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the most likely. And I don't know if you talked about it in your groups, but in his introduction, when he tells you that it's from James, he doesn't say that he's the half-brother of Jesus or anything else. He's very humble in describing who he is. And another reason for that might have been he was so well-known at that time because he was the leader of the church at Jerusalem that he really didn't need any other introduction other than, this is James, your pastor, <laughs> servant of the Lord. Um, Matthew 13, 55 mentions James as one of the brothers of Jesus. This, I think, is very interesting. James did not follow Jesus until after he witnessed Jesus in his resurrected body. And two references for that are Mark 3, 21 to 35, and John 7, 5. In um, Mark 3, uh, they said his family thought Jesus was out of his mind. And so that would have included James at that point. Um, uh, references for when... James witnessed Jesus in his resurrected body, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, and Galatians 1, 19. James then became the leader at the Jerusalem church. And I love this. After Peter was miraculously re released from prison in Acts 12, 17, when Herod had him, and the next day Herod uh, planned to kill Peter, and the angel of the Lord came, and Peter was released. He thought he was dreaming. You remember, he ran to the house, and the servant girl, Rhoda, answered the door. And uh, she said, oh, it's Peter. And she slammed the door in his face and ran back in. Um, and they said, it's Peter. Well, then go open the door. And they, but they said, it must have been his ghost. But one of the first things that Peter said was, go tell James and the others. So that kind of tells you how important James was in this early church with these early believers. Um, James spoke up at the Jerusalem Council. In fact, he was the head of the Jerusalem Council. After Paul and Barnabas detailed the miracles 
that God had done among the Gentiles, um, James said, it is my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James was possibly the first New Testament book that was written um, in circa 45 to 48 A.D. And according to James, the evidence of Christian faith would be displayed in action. And then I had some fun facts. James is 108 verses long, and there are 54 imperative calls to action. If you are mathematically challenged, that is half <laughs> of the verses are um, imperative calls to action. James uses imagery of nature at least 30 times, and there are approximately 15 references to the Sermon on the Mount. So those are my fun facts in my notes. Uh, so now we start with the scripture in verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I uh, looked up a definition of perseverance, and I loved this one, staying power. It produces staying power, steadfastness. Let perseverance, let staying power finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So our goal is maturity in our faith, growth, perseverance, staying power is one of the challenges of having trials. Now I want to go back to this word joy because it's puzzling. Consider it joy when you have trials, and these trials are from external forces. Um, there is a verse, but I may not be able to find it, but the, um, the apostles, after they were flogged by the Sanhedrin, they left rejoicing because they had been considered worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. So that's the kind of joy. It's joy that we are experiencing trials, tests, because of our faith. And as we persevere, we endure through those trials, then we know that we can withstand. We are becoming mature and complete in our faith. And then in 5, verse 5, if you, how, how can you persevere in these trials? James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Unlike if you were in school and you were taking a test, and you raise your hand and you ask the teacher if she could throw you some wisdom on the subject to help you through the test, and you're not going to get a pleasant response. But here, God gives generously. All we have to do is ask. 
ask for his wisdom. And Janet wrote, wisdom matters. We've got to have his wisdom to be able to endure the trials in this life. And in verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That's one of those nature metaphors that James is using that I talked about. That person should not expect to receive anything from God. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Okay, when you ask, you must believe what? You must believe that God is who he said he is and that he can give you his wisdom just like the promise is stated. If any of you ask, he will give it. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe that he is who he says he is and not have doubt. Such a person who doubts is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. If you don't believe that God is who he says he is, then how can you ask in confidence for what he's told you to ask for? And unstable, that word unstable is like a person who's drunk. They have no center. They're just rambling along. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians used the same metaphor about a wave of the sea blown and tossed about, talking about when that Christ gave us spiritual gifts and the reason for those spiritual gifts were for our maturing and for the growth of the body. And that if we don't exercise those gifts, we're like an infant who is immature and tossed about by the waves. So Paul used that same metaphor. The benefits of wisdom, direction, God will give you direction, confidence, his confidence, the confidence that he is in control. Success, maybe not success as the world views it, but success in the eyes of God because you've gone to him, the source of all wisdom for your direction, reward and blessing for being his faithful, obedient child. Get wisdom, though it costs all you have. Get understanding, Proverbs 4, 7. And I have to say, when I was flipping through Janet's PowerPoint, and she had that photo of that life ring. That's the life ring. Do you remember either last week or the week before when I told you that Romans eight twenty eight was like a life ring to me? That and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When you're in the trials of this life, you can grab hold of that life ring. And I, I just, when I saw that, I, my heart kind of leapt for joy. Um, we continue in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Those in the world that don't have a lot of wealth or power can take pride in knowing that they are a child of God. 
but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. That is the rich, all the things, the power, the wealth that you may have in this world means nothing in eternity and that will pass away and you're humbled by that thought because you too are a child of God and that is where your security is found that you belong to God. If you listen to Janet's lecture um, from her uh, ministry, you heard her describe the wildflowers of the Holy Land, that there can be such extreme temperatures where it's like 30 degrees um, early, early in the morning, and then by the afternoon, it's a scorching sun up to 90 plus degrees. And so the wildflowers that bloomed in the morning would be burnt up by the afternoon, and that's what this picture is. Um, and this is also a picture of the temporary versus the eternal. This world is temporary, but what we do for Christ, that is eternal. Uh, and then when I flipped on this, I thought, oh, why does she have a picture of Caesar? No, she does not. Um, verse 12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so this crown of life, this is a picture of in the Greek games, all the runners, all the participants in the games would train hard. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians too. They would train uh, they would be under strict discipline to achieve this crown, this crown that was temporary, this crown that uh, was given to the victor. But for those who are running the race of life and persevering, we are persevering to receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's eternal. That is eternal. And then uh, James moves into talking about temptation. And it may seem like a disconnect, except the same word that he used for trial and test and temptation both have the same uh, root in Greek. They're the same root word. So the trials and the tests that we talked about in the first verses are from external sources. The temptation is test from the internal. So James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they were dragged away by their own evil desire. That's that sin nature that we were born with and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Okay, going back to that enticed. This is a picture of we ourselves uh, bait the hook. When we nurture this temptation that comes from our own evil desires and we camp on it, we are baiting our own hook, our own trap. That is what is a picture of. Um, like a fish that is caught. We're doing that to ourselves. 
being dragged away by our own evil desire. But this part, and this is icky. I shared this in a leaders' meeting, and it's like it, this has a real ick factor to it, and yet we need to understand the true ick of it. Then after desire has conceived, the father of that desire, that father of that conception, is Satan himself. It gives birth to sin. When it is full grown, gives birth to death. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Now, contrast that. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Temptation is not from God. Trials, tests may come from God, but they are not for evil. They are for our good. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Think of that beautiful picture. The Father, the creator of the sun, moon, and stars, and all the planets. Every good and perfect gift is from him. And he chose us. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That is the gospel that we are made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, this idea of first fruits, remember his original audience were the Jewish Christians? This first fruits was an idea very common to them. The first fruits were the offerings they brought to the Lord um, when the harvest started to come in. So it was an act of gratitude and thanksgiving to God to bring those first fruits to him. It was also an indication that there was more to come. They trusted him that this was just the beginning of the harvest. There was more to come. And so quite literally, these first believers, these first Christians, these Jewish believers were literally the first fruits of all he created. All who are, who've been Christians since then to now, they were the first. So this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. He goes on in verse 19 to say, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Okay, I need to work on this one. <laughs> Someone in leaders meeting said, you know, the old adage, that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. You should listen more than you speak. And slow to become angry. Paul also talks about anger. And he said, don't, when you are angry, do not sin. And don't let 
the sun go down on your anger because why you'll give the devil a foothold and I mean have you ever what what right do we have to be angry God has every right to be angry but we don't really have any right to be angry and human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires so next time when you're driving say this to yourself when someone cuts in front of you human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires and we're told in verse 21 therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you get rid of all moral filth and the evil Janet in her uh, video lecture talked about that's like taking off a dirty garment and that is the picture here get rid of it and then humbly accept the word planted in you we talked um, about Micah about the good seed where we talked about how it fell on fertile soil and in the faithful remnant they were the ones who had taken in the word of God and they had nurtured it and they had let it grow that is what this is talking about accept this word that is planted in you which can save you Christian character defined how do we achieve godly character do not merely listen to the word and so de deceive yourselves do what it says how many of you learned this in the King James Version be ye hearers be ye doers of the word and not hearers only that just keeps popping in my head do what it says and Janet adds here, could be the theme for the book of James. Be doers of the word. If you love me, keep my commands. Obedience is the source of his blessing. She quoted John 14, 15. One of my friends gave me a, a t-shirt that has a reprinted red letter page out of the Bible. And then it says, if, it, if the words are in red, do what he said. And on to verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, one commentary I read, Janet's translation translates like someone. Um, the original Greek is like a man. And a commentary that I read said, well, it, James for sure used a man there because if a woman had looked in the mirror and found a fault, she would not have walked away from the mirror until she fixed it. <laughs> but we know this means all of us. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do and that word blessed as I was studying this some more I thought there's some words that we just use and don't really think what does that mean exactly I found a definition one word that when I insert it it just really makes it alive and maybe it will do this for you too 
flourishing. You are flourishing in what you do if you are doing what God has commanded. And whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, law, God's law, gives freedom. I love in Psalms, I believe it's 119, where David says, I run in the freedom of your statutes. It's, we're not entangled by sin. When we obey God and we follow him, we are free from that. So that's what that means. And verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So religion means the outward signs of your faith. What are you doing? The rituals, if you will. Um, so for the Pharisees, you know, they would stand on the street corner and pray. That was their ritual. Um, but James is saying, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, then your, all your religious acts are worth nothing because Jesus told us that what's in the heart comes out from the mouth. And so if we can't control our tongues, we, and I'm talking to myself and I'm stepping on my own toes, I need to work on this, um, our religion is worthless James goes on to say, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, orphans and widows. We know, we've just studied Micah, we know from the whole Old Testament that God has a heart for the less fortunate. God has a heart for the orphans and widows. And he put it in his laws that they were to be taken care of. So if we are chasing after God's heart, we are going to take care of those who are less fortunate because it's just going to come out. It's going to be what we do because we're following God and we're to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, keep ourselves from sin. This, we can go back to what we studied in Micah, too. That was one of the problems that um, the Israelites had in Micah and why they ended up going into captivity was because they did not keep themselves polluted from the world. They instead compromised and they made alliances with the world and they forgot God because they were too busy chasing the world. We're to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Janet says, how? We're going to go back to verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We have new birth through the gospel. We are changed. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. That's how we can accomplish this. And finally, uh, Janet's last slide. Uh, love that she chose Micah 4 5. 
This version says, for all people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. My version said, for all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of our Lord, the Lord our God forever and ever. And so the conclusion that Janet has drawn for us from chapter 1 the best evangelism is to walk with God's character and the truth of God's word. That has always been God's unchanging truth. So take heart. If, if getting one of those four spiritual laws and walking up and knocking on someone's door is not your idea of evangelism, this is God's idea right here. Walk with his character and the truth of his word. That way we will be a light to all and a witness to those who need the Lord. And that is our conclusion of James 1. Let me close in prayer and remember Janet in your prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from James. We thank you that you... Uh, had James write it down for those early Jewish Christians and for us to remind us that true faith will produce outward action. People will know by our actions that we belong to you. Lord, as, Lord help us to be ever mindful of that and to love you and in doing so, to pour your love out to a lost and dying world. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.